Well, good morning, church family. Happy Easter to you. Glad that you're here with us. If you're new and if you're a guest today, thank you for being here with us today. So glad you're here. If you're online, thank you for tuning in uh, online. We're going to celebrate Jesus and the resurrection. He's alive today, man. We're going to sing about it. Will you stand with me as I pray real quick? Father, thank you for being in this place, God. We love you. We just want to celebrate. Your son paid the price. Died on the cross for our sins today. So that we may have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Sing.
have a time. You're probably thinking, this is Easter Sunday. What are we singing about? Dry bones rattling. This isn't the story of uh, Easter, the resurrection. But the, the song comes out of Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel was God's prophet. And God was talking to Ezekiel. They were in a valley filled with these bones. And God's telling Ezekiel, speak to these dry bones. Do you think they will live? And he's like, I don't know, God. Only you know that. And he said, prophesy to these dry bones. Speak to these dry bones so that they may live. And he's seen the army that was the dry bones come with flesh and muscle. And that story to me is a story of restoration. It's a story of God saying, I will restore. And today, the Easter message is about that. He wants to restore something in you today. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you, you've been restored. Maybe you've experienced that time in your life where, where God has rescued you or he's brought you back from one place to where you are now. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you need something restored in your life. Maybe there's something that you let die. Maybe it was a hurt feeling. Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe it was a loss. Whatever it was, God is here. And his message to you is, I'm bringing you life. I'm here to restore. So this is a time that we do every week in church. We just uh, take a moment to have communion. And if you're new here, uh, we have stations set on each side of the building and two up front. And we want you to take this time to have communion, take the elements. Jesus was in the Last Supper with his disciples. He he had the bread, he had the, the blood, or the juice, the wine. And he took the bread and he said, This is my body. This is what I'm this is what I'm giving to you. And if you partake, you will be with me. He said, This is my blood. It's the it's a new covenant. And if you partake, you will have everlasting life. I mean, we have a new covenant with him today. So as I pray, you can get ready to come up. Uh, there's a little cup. It has a little pill off. It has a little piece of bread. Then it has another pill off or juice. And just take time today. Just reflect where you are. And then we'll sing and worship some more. Father God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the people that you brought in, Lord. Thank you for your spirit being in this place. You're here to restore, change lives. In Jesus' name we pray.
We've been singing the song. He's turning graves in the gardens. I searched the world. And it couldn't feel me. Men's empty praise and treasures of fame are never enough. And you came along. Put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied.
church. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, man. It's been an awesome, awesome weekend here already. We've been doing this. We've been going through this series from that song. And it's been so much fun talking about the different phrases and seeing that they come straight from Scripture. They come straight from stories that are in the Bible. And and so today we're going to finish this up with this last one, the title of the song, Graves to Gardens. But as I was thinking about that this week, I realized it's really should be garden to graze, to garden. Because that's how it really works. Because in the very beginning, in the very beginning, there was a garden. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, he's been turning graves into gardens. You see, we're here to celebrate Jesus' resurrection today, but it happened all throughout Scripture of dead bones rising. It, it started, we sang about it in the very first song. It started with a, a, a guy that died and they're trying to hurry up and bury him because there's this invading army coming. It's in Second Kings chapter 13. There's this invading army coming and all of a sudden they get so close and it's like the man, the sort of people that, that are doing the burial, they just kind of like hurriedly throw this guy in the, in the grave of Elisha and as soon as it, it says, as soon as his body hit Elisha's bones, he got up and walked dead man rising and and then it was jesus best friend you know lazarus the, the guy that he hung out at their house and lazarus dies and jesus goes and and he says to the people that are there when he finally arrives not go through the whole story he finally arrives where have you put him it's over here and he says move the stone and they're like no don't do that Dude's been in there four days. Don't roll that stone away right now. Because in the true King James Version, surely he stinketh by now. Jesus said, no, roll the stone away. They roll the stone away and Jesus makes that command. Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, here comes Lazarus walking out again. And then Jesus himself Jesus himself on what we're celebrating today, what we're remembering today. Jesus on his own, on his own. The others, people spoke at you, but on his own, Jesus comes forth from the grave. Graves in the gardens. But before Jesus went to the grave, he was in a garden. The, the night that they came and arrested him, they actually did it in a garden. How ironic. They, they came into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had gone to pray. And he left Peter, James, and John down at the foot of the hill to kind of watch things. And he went up and he was praying. And in that telling prayer, one of the most telling prayers of all the scripture, in that moment in the garden, the night that he was arrested, Jesus showed his humanity. And he basically prays, Father, let's go to plan B. If there's any other way to do this, let's go with that. And then three words. Three incredible words. Three words that quite honestly I struggle with. I struggle with at times because you know what? I got, I got my likes. <laughs> I got things that I would rather do. I got places I'd rather go and, and, and I got ways I'd rather act on my own. And I struggle with those three words. Not my will. See, that's where Jesus got to. Father, dad, if there's any other way, the plan B, let's go. But not my will. Not my will be done, but yours alone. So if this is, if this is the plan, if this is where we're going, let's go. And they came and they got him in a garden, in a garden. But it wasn't the first garden he'd been in. In fact, the first garden that we know that he was in is in the very first page of the Bible. See, it's the original garden. In the original garden, it starts at Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 1 says this. In the beginning, y'all did better with that than the group last night. All right, don't tell them that, but you, in the beginning, God, you got to get your mind around that. 
You, you've got to be able to embrace that. If you can't get past those first four words in all the Bible, the rest of it's going to blow your mind and you're really going to struggle with it. But in the beginning, God. And it was in a garden. It was in a garden. And you need to understand that this is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the garden. So Jesus was right there. In the very first garden, in the original garden. And some cool things happened at the very beginning in Genesis 1. God says, okay, we're, we, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to create something here. And, and on, on day one, he creates light. Let there be light. And boom, the lights came on. And God looked and he saw what, he, what had happened. And he said, that's good. That's good. And the Bible tells us that water was beaming around the earth. So on day two, he decided to raise up from the depths of the sea to bring up land. And on a day two, he formed land that came up and, and divided the earth into continents, countries, to have islands and peninsulas and all, just raised up land that would separate the water and, and leave us with oceans and lakes and rivers and streams. And it got to the end of that second day and he said, oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. And, and then on the third day, there's this land, and, and, and I don't know how exactly he's, he's like, that looks awful, like boring. This is like all this brown land and water. Let's, let's make vegetation. And so on the third day of creation, God created all the vegetation around the earth, and there's plants, and there's grass, and there's trees, and they're starting to grow. And, and, and now there's not just a, a brown earth and water scattered through it, so brown and blue. Now there's green, and not only is there green, but some of the vegetation has, has flowers on it. And so now there's all kinds of color. And so he's at the end of the third day, he's like, that's good, that's good. But how are we going to separate the days from the nights? And, and there needs to be a pattern. There needs to be a system. Because everything's be, is going to be based on that. And so on the fourth day, he created the moon and the sun and the stars. So it could separate it. And, and the beauty of the, the galaxies. And, and, and Oh, that's good. That's good. And vegetation is, is growing. And there's light. And there's water. And there's land. And, you know... It'd be really cool if there were like these creatures that could live in the water and live on the land and that could even take advantage of, of eating from the trees and the plants. And so on day five, he creates animals. And he gets to the end of the day and that's good. That's good. But there's still something missing. There's, there's, there's still part of this that's missing. And so on day six, and this is how we know that, that Jesus was there in the garden. Day six, it says, God, the, the Father, God, the Creator says, let's make man in our image. Our? Who's our? It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's obviously not talking about like physical image. I mean, look around. I'm scanning pretty quickly. I do not see a single set of twins anywhere. So there's nobody in this room that looks like you. Okay. Oh, I forgot. There's one set of twins over here. See, you, see, but you usually sit over there. You messed me up. Okay, you guys turn off your ears for a minute. Turn off your hearing aids for a minute, okay? <laughs> I'm going to pay for that. Wiley, be quiet. <laughs> we don't look alike. There's one obvious difference, isn't there? We got male and female. Okay, so that divides us somewhat in half, or like in most churches, it's not quite half because there's more women than men. But anyway, that's a different story for a different time, all right? Anyway, and then there's the color of our skin. There's our height. There's our size. There's the way that we... So when he said, let's make God man in our own image, he couldn't have been talking. He couldn't have been talking about physical image. What image was he talking about? The image of our heart. The, the, the image of God that is a loving, caring, compassionate God. And so he created Adam. 
And, and now there's, now there's not just animals, there's, there's a human. And he got to the end of the sixth day. And he said, oh, that's very good. And then he rested. All this taking place. And then he really defines that garden, that original garden. It's in Genesis chapter 2, and I want to read part of that for you. In verse 8 it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then let your eyes go down to verse 15. Look what it says. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Here it comes. But the Lord God warned him. One warning, one warning. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except there is going to be the problem. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you will surely die they got everything but one tree this time Adam's just there on that creates Eve and now there's two of them there in the garden and everything's cool except one here's a struggle I think we have in just really getting our minds around what they had what they had because when we put that term garden in there it confines us all right, because any of you, how many of you have gardens, raised gardens? Any? All right, unless you're like super crazy and it's no longer a garden, it's actually a farm. All right, but a garden like it, you're talking somewhere in the 10 by 30, 20 by 40, if you're really crazy in the backyard, 25 by 50 foot garden area. And so when we talk about the garden, of Eden, we, if we're not careful, we get in our mind this little like, this little 20 by 40 area with a white picket fence and the corn all in a row and the green beans all in a row and we got the state and that's what we think and say, well, okay, that's great. But what we need to understand is that by what God was saying is you can have everything. By the way, you're the only guy on the planet. You're the only couple on the planet. On the planet. You can have and you can eat from anything here except that one tree right in the center. What do your kids do when you tell them they can have anything in the house except one thing? What do they want? That thing. That thing. And that's in the original garden. Now we've got to move quickly. Because in that original garden, there was also the original sin. It starts in Genesis chapter 3. Look at the very first verse. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you that you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only that one. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, said the serpent. Some of us that are a little bit older and can we remember? Remember on Friday nights as a, as a teenager? And somebody's like getting a plan, you know, like getting a plan and talk about something you know, kind of crazy. And you say, uh, we, we'll get hurt. We'll, we'll get in trouble. We'll, and what do everybody else say? You're not going to get in trouble. It won't happen to you. That's what Satan used from the beginning. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat that. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. And she saw that the tree was beautiful. And it looked delicious. All right, looks good. I think about that fruit would be really good. But here's what got her. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. Why did God withhold that? Because he knew that mankind, even his prized creation, couldn't handle being omniscient. Couldn't handle being all-knowing. Couldn't handle seeing things that were about to happen and it, it potentially breaking your heart, but needing to let it happen because of, of creation and free will. And, uh, and he said he knew that man couldn't stand being omniscient, couldn't handle it. And so that's why he was withholding it. But she wanted it. 
So she took of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now we both, now we got problems. We're in the original garden, the beauty of all that, and now we've sinned. Look at verse 23, man, this is like, this is unbelievable. So the Lord God banished them. That, okay, let me break that down. It's him. He kicked them out. All right? He kicked them out of the garden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that was flashed back and forth to guard. Catch this. To guard the what? To guard the way to the tree of life. Just to get your mind thinking ahead. Remember what Jesus said that he was? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in that moment, after this original sin, God said, I'm going to block the way. In his mind, thinking, so I can send the way. But for this moment, they're separated. They are separated. They are cut off. They're kicked out. They're separated from the Creator. And from that moment on, when there was sin, there needed to be sacrifice. There had to be a way to atone for the sin. And all through the beginning parts of Scripture, in the beginning of the Bible, especially you get into the book of Numbers and Leviticus, and, and, and you see all these different kinds of sacrifice and how to sacrifice for different things. Because when there was sin, there needed to be sacrifice. Fast forward to 1400 B.C. And we see the original Passover lamb. It's 1400 BC, 1400 years before Jesus would ever come. And this guy named Moses is born. Long story short, he, he's born in a time when all the baby boys are supposed to be killed. And so his mom tries to protect him. She puts him in a basket, puts him in the river. It's floating down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, sees this cute little boy, takes him back home to raise him in her house, which her dad is Pharaoh. He's the one who ordered all the babies to be killed. She's got some explaining to do there. But she brings his baby boy home. She raises him. Moses grows up. And before long as he grows up, he starts looking at and himself as compared to the people he's living with. They're like, I don't match. I look different than these people that I'm living with. And then he starts looking at the slaves, the, the Israelite slaves, and realizes, I'm one of them. How did I get here? How did this all happen? And then one day as an adult man, he, he sees one of the Egyptian guards beating on an Israelite slave. And he ain't playing that game no more because he's big enough to take care of himself and somebody else. And he intervenes and ends up killing the man. Now there's a problem because somebody sees it and starts telling the words out. And so Moses kind of goes into exile for a while. And then God speaks to Moses and says, here, Moses, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to go back since you kind of got, since you kind of got a hook up to Pharaoh, since you can kind of go back in there. I want you to go back and I want you to tell Pharaoh that the gig is up and I want him to let my people go. <laughs> and Moses is like, but Moses had a stuttering problem. Yeah, but I, I, I don't speak well. Like, we'll handle that. Send your brother with you. We'll handle that. But you need to go. And so Moses goes, and, and Pharaoh, his heart's hardened, and he doesn't let him go. And so then God starts sending plagues, and there's like plagues like flies everywhere, and locusts, and just all these, these plagues. And none of them work, none of them work, until he gets to the 10th one. After nine plagues, God says, all right, I'm tired of playing. You go tell Pharaoh that I'm going to send a death angel. And the death angel is going to do to every firstborn child what he tried to do to you before you were ever able to grow up and be a man. And he tried to kill you as a child. And you tell Pharaoh that unless they cooperate, unless they turn their hearts and their ears, I'm going to send a death angel. And every firstborn will be taken. See, part of that sacrifice system had been the, the, the ultimate sacrifice. But before this, what was a, a firstborn was the, the firstborn lamb, a perfect lamb. And so God said this in Exodus chapter 12. He said, here's the things that I want you to do to avoid the death angel coming to your house. He said, I want you to choose a perfect one-year-old lamb. I want you to take it, make sure there's no blemish on it at all. I want you to keep it. And four days later, I want you to sacrifice the lamb at twilight. 
And then when you sacrifice the lamb, I want you to get the blood. And it's kind of gory. It seems like something we put in a movie today or on some kind of video game. But he said, I want you to get the blood in your hands and I want you to wipe it over the door frame of your house. Because that'll be the sign of the death angel that the blood of the lamb exists there and the death angel is going to pass over. And then I want you to get dressed well. I want you to get a, get roast the meat. You have a, have a fire, cook the meat that's left from the sacrifice. Be fully dressed. I love this. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick. I love that he added that carry your walking stick. Yeah, he knew what was coming because we're getting ready to get out of here. He said, carry your walking stick with you and eat the entire lamb as a meal. Burn any leftover meat. And on that night when the death angel comes, he will pass over the doors that have the blood on them. Fast forward now. We've seen the original garden. We've seen the original sin. The original Passover, the sacrifice. Let's talk about the ultimate. Because we need to fast forward several hundred years. And the ultimate Passover lamb has come. And while Jesus is here on earth, he develops relationships. The human, uh, he develops relationships. He has the 12 disciples. Of the 12 disciples, he has three that are really like the three amigos. They're the inner circle. And he has one that becomes his best friend. His name's John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He actually wrote the book of Revelations. They became best friends. He, Jesus even referred to him as the Beloved. And in John's Gospel, he just gets, he doesn't waste time with the birth narrative. He's like, the Word became flesh, and he's here, boom, let's go. And so it's like the three years of Jesus' life that are recorded in the Gospel of John. There's another John in that gospel too. It's actually Jesus' cousin, not his best friend, but his cousin. He gets the nickname John the Baptist because he was Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was actually baptizing people. Uh, and, and one day he sees Jesus. It's recorded in John chapter one. In fact, two times in John chapter one, John the Baptist, the other John looks up and sees Jesus and he says, behold, there comes the lamb of God. He's identifying Jesus as the lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb. He says, behold the lamb of God. And then he, in verse 29, he goes further and says, who takes away the sin of the world? Because that's what the sacrifice was about all along, was taking away the sins of the world. And then three years later, after Jesus has preached and taught and healed and ministered, the unthinkable happens. He's arrested in a garden. He's arrested, he's mocked, he's beaten, and and the Bible tells us that they they demanded 39 lashes. Why 39 lashes? Because they believed that 40 lashes would kill someone, and they didn't want him dead. Not yet. And then they crucified him. That same John, who was his best friend, was standing at the foot of the cross as, as Jesus was hanging there. And, and, and in those last moments, John, Jesus looks down and sees John and he kind of sees his mother, Mary there. And he looks to John and he said, take care of my mom. What kind of relationship do you have to have with a person to tell them to take care of your mom? To trust them to take care of your mom? Just take care of mom. And then if you look in John's gospel, as he recorded the events of that day, in chapter 19 and verse 28, it says, Jesus knew that his mission, that his mission was now finished. To fulfill scripture, he went on and said, I am thirsty, and a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Understand this, guys. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was not referring to his life. He was referring to his mission. He knew his mission. He came. He knew his assignment. He knew why why was he here? He had to establish 
the way back in to not the Garden of Eden, but an eternal garden. He was here. That was his mission to re-enter, to establish a way to eternal life that had been cut off when sin came into the world. And he knew that in this moment, that mission is finished. Then the next chapter, John chapter 20, John outlines for us the events of the original Easter. It's early in the morning and, and, and Jesus has been in the tomb for a while. And now it's a, it's a safe time in many ways. It's the right time. And this lady, Mary Magdalene, who had been a follower of Jesus, whose life had been changed by Jesus, who had been there, she goes to the tomb early in the morning to anoint his body. Kind of the equivalent of what we would do with embalming others, not inside. It's external just to get the body, uh, cleaned up and as prepared as possible, uh, for eternity. <laughs> And she goes to do that for Jesus and she gets to the tomb and he gone. Stones rolled away. What are they done with Jesus? She goes back to get the boys to come. The disciples are all hiding out. They're still scared to death. What's going to happen to them? And he says, she goes back and tells her that he's gone. He's gone. And they start off running. It's, it's really cool the way John describes. He talks about Peter and the other disciple. It's like his most modest moment in time because he says, Peter and the other disciple, he's talking about himself. They take off racing the tomb and, and the other disciple, me, I won, but I don't want to say it that way. But you know, we were ready and he wasn't there. And, and they, they, they can't figure it out. And in desperation, they go back. They go back home and hang out in that room. Mary decides to hang out for a while. She just can't handle this, doesn't know what to do. And, and so she's there at the empty tomb. And suddenly Jesus shows up. Speaks to her. She gets to see the risen Lord. And that night, that original Easter evening... Like, you know, so think about tonight, you're sitting at home at five or six after you've stuffed yourself with an Easter meal and you're hanging out at home and that's what the boys are doing. Although they weren't celebrating, they were just trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up in a locked room with them. And now Mary's sitting, now the boys have seen him. Now the word is out and the Bible tells us that 500 others saw him during the next 40 days while he was here. The Passover, it happened. Forgiveness was real. And all of this was pointing us from the original garden that was contaminated by the original sin that had to have the original Passover that brings us to an ultimate Passover for you and me, brings us now to the opportunity, the way has been made to the ultimate garden. 60 years after this, this same John, he, he's at the end of his life. He's been in all kinds of trouble. The Roman authorities didn't like him. They exile him to this island called Patmos. And he's there. And while he's on this island, at the end of his life, God allows him to see into the future, to see into the ultimate garden, to see what all this has been about, to see why his best friend Jesus had come, to see the vision of the ultimate garden. And he says this. He records this for us in Revelation 20. He said, in that garden, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. The death that came because of the original sin now is being wiped out. In that ultimate garden, there will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Amen. That's good stuff to a broken, messed up world. So what do we do? How do we get to the garden? Who's got the key to the garden? Guys, the key to the garden is not the cross. Please understand that. Please understand that. I get the beauty of the cross and all that. And I I know a lot of us wear crosses around our neck and get them tattooed on our arm. But understand this. The cross is not the symbol of Christianity. The cross is the symbol of cruelty. Because what did they do with crosses? 
They killed people on them. The symbol of Christianity is not the cross. It's an empty tomb. Because lots of people died on crosses. Only one walked out of his own tomb. The resurrection is the key to that ultimate garden. And because if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, he'd be no different than any other great charismatic leader who was killed, who was martyred. But the beauty of it is a lot can happen in three days. Three days didn't just change history. Those three days changed eternity. And here's what Paul said about it. In Romans chapter 6, how do we get the key, get access to the key? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. He said, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. We had two beautiful baptisms the other night, right, Calista? And watching a mom and dad baptize their boys ain't nothing better. And even if, even if Calista cried, that made it even better. Because that's the most beautiful thing that ever happens. You see your kids give their life to Jesus. And he says, for we died and we were baptized with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to walk with him in new life. And so how do we get the keys? By trusting that Jesus is exactly who we've been talking about all day today. Really trusting that. By being willing to confess that to anybody who asks. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've accepted Him as my personal Lord and Savior. To be willing to repent of our sins and say, I know I've done things I shouldn't do. I know sometimes it wasn't just a mistake, it was a sin. Because I knew God didn't want me to do it and I did it anyway. And I'm sorry and I repent of that. And I'm going to do my very best to never do that again. And then we are baptized to be buried from that sinful life. And raised... To walk in a new life. I understand. I understand that especially in this service today. Probably more so than in the other two. That the majority of you guys have probably already made those decisions. And that's awesome. But not everybody has. And in the next two I know not everybody has. And so I want to challenge you. It's Easter folks. Jesus is alive. And there is a garden that you can go to. And why would you not want to do what is necessary to be able to enter that garden? He already paid the price. The ticket is paid in full. All you've got to do is accept it and do what he asks you to do. So here's the deal. The band's going to come back out and we're going to sing again. And I'm going to be standing right over here. And I would love, I would love for the opportunity to talk to you. For just a second. And if you come and say, Dave, I'm ready. We don't have John the Baptist with us anymore. But we got Bradley the Baptizer. And he's back there ready to go. I'm I'm talking ready to go. All right. And so if you know I'm ready and I need to do that today. Then let's. what are you waiting for? Let's not waste any time. If you know you need to do something. You don't know exactly what it is. Jason's standing right back there. And we got other elders and staff people around that you can go, I'll get you hooked up with them. They can answer questions and then we can baptize you. I don't want you to go to bed tonight on Easter Sunday, 2022 without knowing 100% for sure, way down deep inside that you have gone from a garden to a grave to the ultimate garden that you get to spend eternity with Jesus. Don't miss that opportunity. All right, let's stand. Come on. What are you waiting for? I'm going to be right down here. Let's do something. Let's do it now. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met you I was breathing but not all my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Till I met you You called my name 
decision room for just a little bit. Let me give you four really quick dates and we're done, okay? First date, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here in this room. Uh, Sweet Spirit is going to have an Easter concert. They sang on Good Friday. Uh, it was awesome. So that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here. Uh, then next Sunday, the 24th, the 24th, I really want to encourage you to be here for one of our services. Next Sunday morning, we're going to start about five weeks of a vision of where we feel like God has taken us. And I'm going to make some really big announcements uh, next Sunday about some things that are coming really soon and some new things that are going to happen. So be here next Sunday morning. Then next Tuesday, the 26th, is our Pathways for the month of April. You can sign up for that online or you can go to the Next Step room, which is right back through that door or out on the outside. And you can go out there and they can help you sign up. And then finally, on April 30th, which is the last Saturday of this month, there we have a marriage seminar that morning uh, just to strengthen your marriage, to encourage you. You can sign up for that back there in the Next Step room as well. If this is your first time ever to worship with us, Man, thanks for coming. You've picked a great day to be here on the, for the first time. We've got a gift for you. You can either stop at the I New Wall out in the lobby or one of the tents on your way out. See our folks out there. They've got a gift bag for you. And until we see you next time, let's love God, love people. Let's change the world. Happy Easter, everybody.